That means I'm going to ask it, but you don't have to shout it out this time. <clears throat> What's the rhythm of your life? What, what does it look like? If Here's a wild thought. If your life was a song, not lyrically, but musically, what, what would your life sound like? Not, not the lyrics, you know. You've got all sorts of things that might go through your mind there. But what would it sound like? What would the rhythm be? Would it, would it be like incessant, you know, multiple notes crammed into every single second and just constant, you know, beating, beating? Okay. Or would it have stops? Would it have peace? Would it have peaks and valleys? Would it have rest and expectation? If your life was a song. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a, a God of disorder, but a God of order. Now, we don't worship order, right? There's nowhere in the Bible where it says, um, thou shalt love the plan thy God. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't mean that order is not of God. God is not a God of disorder, but a God of order. So when God created creation, that includes us, he did it in order. He did it with a rhythm. Not everybody's order looks the same, but rhythm or order, it's necessary for life. Anyone ever driven in another country that's a little bit less meticulous about traffic signs? Okay. How many are really appreciative for order? Right? Gets you a little anxious out there. With 152,000 roundabouts going, going in in Indianapolis, <laughs> makes me a little nervous. You just, you just pray when you come up, do they understand <laughs> the order? Right? There's a rhythm. Oh God, I pray that they know the rhythm. You force the rhythm. A couple weeks ago, we were uh, ending our uh, our time talking about for a season talking about worship and i talked about how worship forms us and how the habit of worship when we put ourselves in the place of god we put ourselves there that habit forms us and we become like that which we gaze upon we become like god it takes will to put yourself before the lord as you do that consistently the lord takes over and transforms your will that's how habits work I've heard someone say this, or I made it up, it doesn't matter, it's great. We form our habits, and then our habits form us. So I, I'm, I'm thinking about the way in which we think about what we're going to do, and when we put that into action out of wills that God gives us, those actions, repeatedly done, then have impact on us. We form our habits, and then our habits form us. Do you have a habit or a rhythm of rest? That's the big question this morning. Because we're in this series now talking about some basic discipleship content. Like what do we need to know as believers? And it's not all just theology. God is this, Jesus is this, Holy Spirit. It's not all about that. Being formed as a disciple is also about living in the rhythm of God in your life. Cooperating with God as God creates and recreates in your life. Do you rest from your work or do you work from a place of rest? That, that's a question I'm going to just give you. You can take that one to God. Do you, is, your, is your week or your month or your year filled with, 
I, I, I slave, I work, and then I fall into bed and rest so that I can get up and slave again? Or do you work from a place of rest? So we're going to take a quick uh, trip back to creation. Genesis 1 and 2. Just a little tiny trip back to creation. Um, you're probably familiar with that. Genesis 1, I won't read it all, but I'll give you a little portion, a few verses. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. This is the crucial phrase here. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. You you figure, well, Moses got it wrong, right? Should have been it was morning and then evening the first day. But it very clearly says, no, there was evening, and then there was morning the first day. If um, you come from a Hebraic, a Jewish background, or if you know people in that setting, you know that their Sabbath begins on Friday night. The Sabbath is Saturday, right? For the Jews. But it begins when? Sundown the evening before, right? So if you can picture, if you've got no other context but Fiddler on the Roof, right? They're rushing around, why? To prepare for the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is a day of rest. And they honor the Sabbath. So it's that evening and then morning the first day. That's how God created what we live in. And God isn't whimsical. Doesn't mean he's not happy. He's joyful. But I don't think it's, he's whimsical. Like, oh, you know, should I do day or night first? Let's see. Shake the eternal dice. Wham. I guess it's evening. No, there was purpose in it. So uh, this morning, I'm gloriously tired. I'm gloriously tired because yesterday was an amazing day, right? You couldn't help but get up yesterday and just want to be outside. And it's crisp and it's wonderful. So I spent a lot of time outside. And then all my kids and their significant others came in last night. Sounds like a gaggle of them, right? There were six. <laughs> and, uh, and they're all younger than I am, so they get going their mornings start at 10 p.m., all right? So, like, I don't know, a little after midnight, I'm the first one who says, like, I'm done. Like, I do have to do something tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but I'm gloriously tired because last night I reveled, like, just reveled in the love of God expressed to me and my wife and all of us through our kids. We didn't work last night. We rested. There was evening, and then there was morning, the first day. The Hebrew day begins in the evening. Sabbath rest begins in the evening, which means technically this Sunday started last night. Technically. We are now in sort of the, the, we're in the morning part of the day as we call it, but this day, this Sabbath rest began last night at sundown. We start our day in rest. That's my point. God created, ordered the world so that we would begin in rest. So think about that. Like that's really the concept I want to implant in you this morning. That we um, have maybe gotten a wrong framework in our Western culture and many cultures about what rest and work look like and about what we're doing when we get up in the morning and go to work. One way to look at that is this. Um, Jesus says in John 5:17, "My Father is always working, right? 
And then John 5, 19, Jesus says, and I only do what I see my father doing. This is Jesus, son of God. There at creation, he knows how it works. So what if a, a more accurate way of looking at our lives is that we begin our day when we go to sleep. We begin our day with rest. We begin our day by putting our head on the pillow and saying, God, thank you that you made my body to be exhausted. Thank you that you chose to begin this day with me resting. I trust you to do a good job through the evening. God works the third shift, right? And when we wake up in the morning, whatever time that is for you, four, five, six, noon, whatever that is, Whatever, uh, you wake up and you walk into what God's already doing. Ephesians 2.10, Jesus, uh, or Paul says, we were created for good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. So I've said this before, but never in the context of the Hebrew day. What if reality is every night we go to bed, we're beginning the next day. We're entrusting God with everything in our lives because he's already given us good works to walk into. And the first thing we do is say, God, I think you can handle this. I'm going to sleep. And then when we wake up, we walk into what God's already doing. How would your, how would your life be different? How would your attitude driving into work or caring for your kids or looking for a job or whatever it is that you do going to school Every morning, how would your life look differently if you thought, I work from a place of rest? What if we were to have our coffee in the morning or our disgusting green shake or whatever you do in the morning? And we were to say, God, thank you. You've been so faithful through the evening. I know you've been working all night. I'm so gra uh, grateful that I get to join you now in what you're doing. Think just this peace, you know. It's like we don't have to go in and make it all happen. We get to cooperate with God. We get to cooperate with God. It's a new way to think about the rhythm of your day, about rest. Maybe we don't start our day. Maybe we just join God in the day that he's prepared for us. Um, I've spent a lot of time with Steve Orinder right there, who, who uh, is a great businessman. And he, I know he's an early riser. He's, he's the only guy that wants to meet earlier than I want to meet in the morning. And I know that so often his prayer, and he's discipled me in this, you know. He's got order. He's got a plan. Believe me. But he, he comes to every morning. I'm, making, I'm embarrassing him. I'm not, I'm not apologetic. <clears throat> he comes to every day and says, God, what do you have for today? What are you doing today? Here's my plan. The mind of man plans his way. What do you want to do? But the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 16, 9. So it's just, it, it puts a, a new concept on us uh, uh, doing our work from a place of rest. News flash. Work is not a curse. Okay, let's just say that together. Work is not a curse. Go back to the Bible First couple chapters, uh, first three chapters of Genesis, work is given to Adam and Eve before the fall. It's not like they fell, you ate the apple, you got to go to work. No. 
Here, here's, here's, here's the way it worked. It's God made man, made woman. This is awesome. This is beautiful. I want to give them ultimate joy. I'm going to give them work. I'm going to give them a place to be fruitful and multiply, not just the bedroom, but out there in the workplace to see the fruit of their hands come to fruition, to, to build and to plant and to grow and all of the stuff that happens in our work. It's why you know, people who are seeking employment, it can be so depressing, right? Or people who retire without a plan for what that's going to look like. Um, I don't mean to be a negative Nelly here, but death comes after that so often if we don't make a plan because we forget we were created to build and to work. Work is not a curse. Work becomes a curse when we make work our God. And then all of a sudden, we're not worshiping God anymore. We're worshiping work. We're not seeing our time as a gift. We're using time, which means really that time eventually uses us and uses us up. And it ends in ruin. I mean, you've all seen it out there, what burnout looks like. Some of, some of us have experienced what burnout feels like. When I was living in one of the most beautiful places in the world, watching people meet Jesus day after day, a glorious ministry, when we were working with refugees and God was doing these amazing things, I burned out. Not because I was mad or angry, but because I forgot that there's a rhythm to work and rest. And nothing I did felt like work because it was so fun and glorious. But I forgot that one of the big ten, that's not football, that's commandments. Honor the Sabbath. Honor the Sabbath. Honor this creation that I've made, the, the way that I made the world, that we work from rest. We don't work for rest. Thomas Merton, uh, this is back in 1968, so I, I think it's even more so true. Give me a Merton, bam. Let's pray for Thomas Merton to come. The thing is, I didn't write it down in my notes. Ed, you got any Thomas Merton? That's Eugene Peterson. Quote on the bottom, it says Merton. No? Okay? Yes! No! Back one. This is probably my fault, not his. There is a pervasive form of contemporary violence to which the idealist most easily succumbs. Activism and overwork. Calls it violence. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form of its innate violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to, to, sur to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone, see the big words there, in everything is to succumb to violence. The frenzy of our activism neutralizes our work for peace. It destroys our own inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. When you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus knew how to say no. Sometimes he looks downright rude. Like, Jesus, they're all here waiting for you. Hey, I don't got time. I got to go talk to God. He didn't say it that way. They get up in the morning. They're looking for Jesus. Where is he? He's praying. 
All these people are looking for you. And it says, Luke 5.16, and Jesus would often withdraw to a lonely place and pray. It's a challenge for you. Study the rest of Jesus in the Gospels. Just look at those places in the Gospels and find those places where Jesus was wanted, needed, and he wasn't there. Or even when people said, but I need, and he said, no, not now. Why? Because Jesus was manifesting humanity there. Full humanity. His body needed to sleep. Apparently mine does too. His body needed to sleep. So if, we, if we're going to say Jesus was fully God and fully man, we can't say, well, Jesus just slept and rested because he wanted to be a good example for us. No. He needed it. Because God made him that way. As God has made us that way. We live in a rhythm of rest and work. John 15 shows that as a rhythm of abiding and fruitfulness. Abiding and fruitfulness. John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus says, Abide in me. The word means remain, stop, rest, be. Hang on. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus gives this picture of, uh, of a rhythm of rest and work that looks like a rhythm of abiding and fruitfulness. The rest of John 15, Jesus talks about pruning as well, right? We think of pruning as, you know, a violent thing. Sometimes pruning is just God saying, go to bed. Go to bed. I've got this from here. I won't quote it. It came to me this morning during worship. I mean, I won't read it. Psalm 127. uh, Unless the Lord builds the house, he labors in vain who builds it. Unless the Lord watches the city, he... I can't remember the rest of it. (laughs) But I just remember the part where it says... um, I can't remember any of it. Somebody help me. Nobody? The watchman watches in vain because the Lord gives to his loved ones in their sleep. And when we forsake sleep for work, we are, in a sense, forsaking God's rhythm for our own plan. And we bear the fruit of the God that we serve. You can think about it like a semicircle, like a pendulum. That we go to, this is our rhythm of life, hourly, daily, weekly, yearly, through our lives. This move from uh, abiding in Jesus to fruitfulness, that's our work. And then pruning back towards rest. And then growth happens again. And that's a rhythm, a healthy, God-given, God-ordained rhythm to live in. I heard a professor one time talk about her life as, uh, as like a, uh, a muddy stream. You know, if you've ever walked into a, a stream, not a big raging river, but just a stream where it's real clear and you can see everything that's on the bottom. Just a few feet and you're standing in it. And then when you, you know, kick up all the junk on the bottom, all of a sudden it's all cloudy. And if you keep kicking, you'll never see what God has created down there. But if you'll stand and rest, if you just wait. I mean, it's a really beautiful picture of just seeing the sediment, all the chaos of our lives settled to the bottom. And then we can see clearly. That's what Sabbath is for us. 
That's what rest is for the body and the mind and the soul. It's a time to let the the chaos of our little streams in life to just come to a settling point. You know, I love the old adage, don't just do something, sit there. I love that one. Because sometimes we think that the only answer is more activity when God says your answer is rest equals trust. Remember, work's not a curse, it's a good thing, unless it becomes our God. And then we've forsaken the one true God. So Jesus leads us into, and the Bible is full of examples of this rhythm of work and rest. In Genesis, we see God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, right? There was a cool of the day last night. Actually, it was a little chilly all day long. I don't know. We were waiting for our kids to come. It was like 6 o'clock, and actually, Jane and I, (laughs) I don't know why I'm talking so much. We were waiting for our kids to come in. We really couldn't wait, so we took a walk like we're going to go greet them. I mean, they're driving down highways, and we're walking towards them, you know. But we were walking in the cool of the day, and and there was an excitement of like, you know, these people we love are coming. And every day, the Bible makes it look as if it was a pattern that, you know, before the fall, in perfect creation, Adam and Eve would go through their day of work. And then the Lord would come and walk with them in the cool of the day. I can't imagine what that was like. Except that, by the Spirit, we get to do that. We, got, we get to walk with God. We can walk with God in the Spirit in the cool of the day. We can take our times of rest. I like this definition of retreat. Okay, I'm not talking about retreat in an in a, um, army-type sense, in a military sense, but retreat in a sometimes you just have to Take a retreat. Take time off. One definition. An intentional time of disengagement from the front line in order to rest, replenish, and reconnect with your leader. See, Jesus, captain of the Lord of hosts. So that you can re-engage with greater energy, resources, and wisdom. We all need times of retreat to intentionally disengage from the front line. Soldiers can't be at it 24-7. They need sometimes to, in a healthy, intentional way, retreat. So I've been reading about Sabbath and rest for the last couple of weeks, and and I love it, and we've been thinking about it as we think about sabbatical. But I was reading lots of different things, and I saw this relatively uh, uh, well-known Chinese phrase that pastors use a lot. You might have heard this before, that the Chinese pictograph for busy is the root radical heart and then the word for killing. And so you go, wow, that's amazing, right? So my stu- one of my sons is studying Chinese. So I'm like, Johnny, I'm going to give this out to the people. I need to know if this is true. So he, he went back and he tracked it all down. He found one guy who said, that's ridiculous. And he found lots of people, Chinese people, who said, you know, it's interesting, Chinese people, I've never thought of it that way. But it is absolutely true that the word for busyness, to be busy in Chinese, is just two characters. One that is a character for the heart, it's the root, and then there's a, um, a sort of describer, and that describer is the word for to perish, or to lose, or to destroy. 
I'm not saying that the, the Chinese wisdom is perfect, but what I am saying is, you know, there's a sense in which when we give ourselves to busyness, we are really allowing the enemy to kill our hearts. If there's no time for the heart to be revived, it just pours out and pours out and pours out, and it turns into burnout. You can choose intentional rest or forced rest. Is another way to think of it. It's called the hospital. Recreation is supposed to recreate you. So there's something to think about in this next week. Does my recreation recreate me? If your recreation is Facebook, no condemnation... The only question is, when you come out of some time in Facebook, do you feel recreated? If your recreation is television of any sort, no condemnation, when you come out of however much you might watch, do you feel recreated? If your recreation is really serious physical exercise, 26 hours a day, because you're driven to perfection, do you come out of your recreation recreated? So I can't mandate what your recreation is, but the one who created you knows what recreates you. And as believers, as disciples of Jesus, we have got to know what recreates us. I need to be outside walking alone where I can hear God, talk to God, look at nature, have visions, think, dream, cry. That's what I need. Other people get recreated in, in a worship setting. Lots of ways that you get recreated. What does your Sabbath look like? What does your rhythm of rest and work look like in your life? It's it's one of the Ten Commandments. We're called to honor the Sabbath. We live in a rhythm of rest, abiding in fruitfulness. It's a gift to us as God's people. I'll close with this from uh, Matthew 11. Let me read you the uh, NIV, and then I'll read you the Eugene Peterson paraphrase. Matthew 11, 28 to 20. Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase looks like this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. I love that. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is Jesus, perfect man, perfect God, inviting us into a rhythm of life, work and rest and work and rest, working from rest, not for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gift of time, the seconds going from past to, uh, from past to future, the, the time moving by, and yet it's a gift for us, and we get to be here with you. I ask, Lord, for a grace upon us as a church to see time as you see it. As Moses said, to 
to understand our days aright so that we would present to you a heart of wisdom. We ask God for grace to rest. And we say, Lord, that we trust you with our times. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with the the amount of work that seems undoable. We trust you with those things that want to cause us anxiety. We trust you for provision. We trust you for peace. 